0: Hello and welcome to the 44th episode of Coronavirus the Truth, a podcast that focuses on the facts surrounding COVID-19. I'm Jeremy Corr, host of the popular New Books in Medicine podcast and CEO of Executive Podcast Solutions. With me is Dr. Robert Pearl. For 18 years, Robert led the Permanente Medical Group, the nation's largest physician group. He is a healthcare contributor at Forbes.com, a best-selling author, and a professor at both the Stanford University School of Medicine and Business. His book, Uncaring, How the Culture of Medicine Kills Doctors and Patients, was published this May and is receiving industry-wide praise. It can be ordered through his website, robertperlmd.com. All profits will be donated to Doctors Without Borders. Together, we host the Fixing Healthcare Podcast. You can find this episode along with helpful, fact-based information on our website, fixinghealthcarepodcast.com. Robbie, each week we begin the show with the most recent and relevant facts concerning the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on American
1: life. What happened and what does it mean? Jeremy, the news isn't great, Cases are now rising to daily rates above 100,000 and hospitalizations and deaths are increasing, although more slowly than the total number of infections. The virus that's twice as transmissible as the original coronavirus and the younger half of the nation unvaccinated, these outcomes are exactly what we would have predicted. Doctors and public health officials are becoming increasingly worried. The Most recent concerns have to do with so-called breakout infections, coronavirus infections in vaccinated individuals, and the higher viral loads, equivalent to what is seen in unvaccinated people that can be found in the nose and throat. High viral load is associated with higher rates of infection. In a confidential document prepared by the CDC, it showed that among the 145 people initially infected with the Delta variant in Providence, Massachusetts, 80 had been vaccinated. The actual number of cases is now almost 1,000 individuals when you look not only at the people attending the event, but the direct contacts. And 74% of that 1,000 individuals had been vaccinated. Well, they didn't have severe infections, the viral loads, as we said, measured in those who were vaccinated were similar to those people who were unvaccinated and became ill. And data from the CDC shows that the variant is as contagious as the chickenpox, a highly transmissible childhood infection prior to the development of an effective vaccine. At this point, we don't know how many vaccinated people actually have breakthrough infections because most cases are very mild and the CDC stopped testing asymptomatic people months ago. However, the best guess is that far more people are contracting the virus than we even assumed a few weeks ago. In response, the CDC has recommended that vaccinated people wear masks indoors, and discussions underway about recommending a third dose of either of the two most commonly used mRNA vaccines. Although again, the data is preliminary, it's appearing as though infected people with the Delta variant are somewhat sicker than with previous strains, at least based on reports from Canada, Scotland, and Singapore. In response to the soaring number of cases and growing risk, the president said that federal workers would need either to be vaccinated or be tested once or twice per week. And a growing number of hospitals, cities, states, businesses, and restaurants are now requiring proof of vaccination for all employees and customers. Nations around the globe are moving forward some more aggressively than the US. As an example, Israel has begun to administer a third vaccine dose to people over the age of 60. And even in the US, San Francisco has started to offer mRNA vaccine shots to people who had received the one-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is felt to be not quite as effective as the other two mRNA vaccines. In the United States, areas with low vaccination rates are starting to see their hospitals and critical care units overwhelmed. In Florida, hospital admissions from COVID-19 have reached levels only seen during the pandemic's peak, and facilities in South Texas are reaching the breaking point. Multiple states have reopened temporary field hospitals, and many hospitals have converted their cafeterias to ICUs. In Arkansas, the governor, Asa Hutchinson, who previously signed legislation blocking schools from mandating masks for students, now is seeking to reverse the prohibition and make it an option. In addition, United is the first airline to mandate vaccination for all of its 60,000 employees and other airlines are likely to follow. CNN that had mandated vaccination as a requirement for entry into its buildings fired three employees who came to work without fulfilling this requirement. Finally, the government announced that all soldiers in the military will need to be vaccinated by September 15th at the latest and sooner if the current vaccines are given final FDA approval. And the head of the nation's second largest teachers union just came out in favor of mandatory vaccination for all teachers, Jeremy, the world is becoming increasingly uncomfortable and restrictive as the threat from Delta grows. Robbie, the CDC is recommending people use
0: masks indoors, even individuals who are vaccinated. What's the thinking behind
1: this? The thinking, Jeremy, is straightforward. Delta is a highly transmissible variant that is the dominant strain in the US and masks reduce transmissibility. With data showing that vaccinated people can have breakthrough infections and transmit the virus to unvaccinated people, this is a public health measure. But whether it's fair to force vaccinated people to pay the price to protect the unvaccinated, particularly when they themselves, meaning the unvaccinated, often resist mask wearing, is a growing debate across the country. Increasingly, there are voices calling for vaccination certificates that would allow entry for vaccinated individuals with freedom from mask wearing, while at the same time, prohibiting those who are unvaccinating from entering at all. And on the other side, there are a similar number of people saying that all of this is discriminatory and unfair. I think it's going to move ever forward in the direction of demanding proof of vaccination, but we'll have to see, much will depend upon what happens with transmission rates, hospitalizations and death between the vaccinated and unvaccinated in the weeks to come. Jeremy, but let me ask you, you often speak as the voice of the patient, where do you come down on this issue? Should we allow vaccinated individuals to participate in indoor events and exclude people who remain unvaccinated or should we make all of it simply a matter of individual choice? Robbie, I am fully vaccinated
0: and I actively encourage others to do so. That being said, I am against any sort of discrimination of this kind for a multitude of reasons. First of all, the drug still does not have full FDA approval. I know you have said before that it's essentially just a formality at this point but I think that is one of the major things holding people back. I also think we have to factor in the burden of proof, too. I know a few people who have uh, you know, either lost or misplaced their vaccine cards thinking, hey, I'm vaccinated. Why would I ever need this again? Um, also, if you look at the vaccination rates in America, there is a major racial disparity, too. According to an August 4th article from the Kaiser Family Foundation, 66% of Asians are vaccinated, 49% of whites, 43% of Hispanics, and 38% of Black people are vaccinated. I feel like this could further an already a deep political, social class, and racial divide in this country even further. Uh, I feel like Black people, to be honest, have every reason to be skeptical of the vaccine. Uh, I know this took place in the 30s to 70s, and a lot has changed since then, but look at the Tuskegee study uh, when 399 Black men in Alabama were studied for untreated syphilis, uh, and they were told they were being treated for bad blood, uh, when in reality, they weren't being treated at all. The CDC even watched them die when an actual treatment in the form of penicillin was available. They just wanted to watch the full progression of the disease. I know I'm oversimplifying the study and everything, but you can see their reason for distrust from just that alone. I feel like further excluding people from society is only going to deepen the distrust in the government and add increased division in a nation that needs to heal from much more than just the pandemic. This doesn't even factor in any sort of economic damage this might cause as well on already devastated small businesses. I honestly don't know what the best answer is here, and I am by no means a public health expert. But I think restricting people's freedom sets a dangerous precedent, even if it is temporary. And I know I may sound crazy when I'm saying this, but history has shown that when freedoms are restricted or changed, even for the greater good, they rarely go back to what they were before, even long after the crisis is over. Governments are almost always reluctant to give up any sort of newfound power and control that they've gained. Robbie, I had heard people talking about a variant called Delta Plus. What is it and what are the implications?
1: Jeremy, the Delta Plus variant is a topic of debate among policy experts. It's labeled Plus because it contains additional mutations in the spike protein that weren't seen in the first group of Delta variants. There's a scattering of cases around the globe, including South Korea and in multiple nations in Europe, but at least so far, it doesn't seem more transmissible than the original Delta strain and no more resistant to the currently available vaccines. But having said all of that, it's all new and there's much that we don't know about the Delta Plus as of yet. As long as it doesn't increase in prevalence, we can assume that it won't be more problematic than the current strain. But as we've said on this show many times, with a virus that spreads at an exponential rate the number of cases increases very slowly for a long time before it explodes. At The same time, given that it hasn't yet become dominant in any nation, it's likely that it won't pose the massive risk that the name Delta Plus implies. But even if this one isn't overtly worrisome, the continued mutations in the coronaviruses that we're seeing, are like storm clouds on the horizon. They portend problems, even if the rain has yet to begin to fall.
0: Robbie, given the Delta variant, what's happening with foreign visitors coming to the United States?
1: Although there's lots of pressure to let business and tourist traffic return to the United States, the White House is keeping the borders closed to people from almost every other nation in the world out of fear about the growing COVID-19 infection rate, and particularly the transmissibility of the Delta variant. The current thinking and the White House hope is to slowly open our borders, but no specific plan has yet been announced. On the other hand, it's hard to imagine that once travel restrictions are eased, that all visitors will be required to both have proof of vaccination and a negative COVID test in the previous 72 hours.
0: Rob, you have an article coming out tomorrow in Forbes, uh, very critical of the CDC. And in previous episodes, you talked about the recent decision by the FDA to go against the unanimous opinion of its Scientific Advisory Committee. What on earth is going on?
1: Jeremy, for most of my medical career, these two federal agencies have been epitomes of science and courage. I've had massive respect for both. Maybe it's the politicization of the country. Maybe it's the diminished status of public service. But it has changed. The FDA's primary role has historically been to protect the health of the public, using its courageous stand, refusing to approve thalidomide as its moment of the highest levels of greatness. But now it appears to be lowering its standards as a means to bring more and more drugs to market, even ones that have minimal efficacy. If our nation wants to develop new drugs, we should do that by investing more in the NIH and its researchers, not by short-circuiting the drug approval process. And similarly, for decades, the Centers for Disease Control have led the efforts to keep our nation healthy. In the face of COVID-19, it hasn't taken the actions needed to lead the way. In the Forbes article, I point out that with the Delta variant soaring, the strongest recommendation the CDC has made was for vaccinated people to wear masks indoors. And that's simply inadequate. This infection with soaring admission rates and growing mortality is being driven by unvaccinated individuals. If the CDC wants to save the most lives, it would have at least recommended mandatory vaccination as a condition to be indoors, whether it's a dine or to work, not simply recommending masking. The CDC can't impose mandatory restrictions, but by recommending them, businesses and government officials would have the seal of approval to take the courageous steps needed to maximize people's health. Instead of leading the way and smoothing the path for others, the CDC is lagging, while a growing number of businesses and municipalities are the ones moving forward rapidly. Jeremy, this is not the CDC that I knew from my past, or the one I believe our country needs moving forward. Robbie, the WHO
0: proposed a ban on booster shots. Why would it do that, and
1: what should the United States do? The issue is whether to maximally protect people in wealthier countries like the US or use the currently available vaccine for people in poorer nations where there's no protection at all. The WHO is taking a global perspective and encouraging the Western nations to share their current supply. Their stated goal is to vaccinate at least 10% of the population in every nation. Today in poorer countries, the vaccination rate is less than 2%. And that's even for a single dose. But of course, when it comes to elected officials in the US, their accountability is the health of our 330 million citizens. And at this point, it's still unclear the best recommendations to do so. On one hand, a third dose would boost immunity inside the US. But if the rest of the world is unvaccinated, and the virus continues to replicate widely, there's a great risk that the virus will mutate elsewhere, come ashore, and impact all Americans. At this point, if additional boosters are recommended by the governmental officials, they will probably be for individuals at greatest risk based on being immune compromised or above a certain age. And that is what other highly vaccinated countries like Great Britain have done.
0: Rob, you and I have become extremely close friends over the past few years. So I value your thoughts and advice on this topic quite a bit. As you know, my young son starts kindergarten in a couple weeks. And I know this topic is causing anxiety, not just for me, but for a lot of parents as they prepare for the school year. How's the Delta variant affecting children? Uh, should we be more concerned than we were before? And what advice do you have for parents with young children Uh, going into the school year in a couple weeks.
1: Jeremy, protecting children who aren't yet eligible for vaccination is a growing problem across the country. Almost 72,000 children and teenagers came down with COVID-19 last week, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. And this is a significant increase from the week before and reflects the greater transmissibility of the Delta variant as we've talked about throughout the show. With over half of adults vaccinated and kids under 12 vulnerable, a shift in prevalence isn't surprising. But few epidemiologists would have predicted that this younger part of the population would not only be experiencing 20% of all cases, but that many of them would be needing hospitalizations. It's now estimated that between two and 4% of all inpatient admissions for COVID-19 are kids. And the combination of more infections and added risk is leading a growing number of school districts to require masks for students, faculty, and staff. Fortunately, there have only been 526 childhood deaths. However, four to 5% of children, many of whom were never very sick, but had COVID-19 are currently reporting long-term symptoms, most commonly fatigue. Currently, vaccine testing is continuing for children down to age six months. And hopefully by the end of the year, emergency approval for at least some of these kids will be completed. Before then, the best way to protect children is by maximizing the number of adults and teenagers who are vaccinated. When it comes to your son, I'd send him to school assuming that all the children, teachers and staff will be wearing masks and appropriately social distancing. The risk from infection under these circumstances is low and the danger from continued social isolation, great. Having said that, if you wanted to maximally prevent infection, it'd be safer to keep them home. For some parents, their only choice now is to send their children to school, a place that may not be maximally protected based upon the actions of the elected officials. They face a true dilemma, risking the health of their child against the emotional and social development consequences that would happen from continued isolation. And Jeremy, I feel very bad for these families As they say, it's the equivalent of being caught between a rock and a hard place.
0: Robbie, on our last show, you asked listeners who remain unvaccinated to let us know their reasoning. What have you heard? Jeremy, I'm
1: so glad we asked because their answers were extremely interesting. Let me point out first that none of them were anti-vaxxers. They were not completely opposed to vaccination at all costs, and none of them were irrational in their reasoning. Their concerns about getting vaccinated fell into two categories. The first was around the timing. They've waited for the right moment to get the vaccine. Early on, they wanted more evidence that the vaccines were safe. Now they worry that there'll be a better vaccine one against the Delta variant coming out soon. In some ways, these listeners are like people who don't wanna purchase an iPhone or a computer now because the next model may be coming out in a few months. Whether there'll ever be a right time for people to be vaccinated in this group remains to be seen, but these listeners are open to signing up when that moment comes. The reason in the second group was unexpected to me. They said that they were very careful to always wear a mask, wash their hands, and socially distance. And they just felt that they were adequately protected without the vaccine. Rather than not seeing the virus as problematic, they were taking social distancing seriously. We frequently associate unvaccinated people with refusal to mask up and protect themselves. Instead, at least amongst our listeners, their hesitancy reflects the intensity of their efforts to do so. Robbie, our good news segment is valued by listeners looking for
0: something positive in the pandemic. What's good this week? Jeremy, the best news
1: is the continued effectiveness of the vaccines. The journal reported that at six months, its vaccines were still 93% effective. However, I have to point out that the observation period was November of 2020 through April, 2021. As such, this high effectiveness was not measured during the Delta variant period. The continued efficacy of the Moderna vaccine is similar to the data that we talked about in a previous show on the Pfizer vaccine. Despite these results, Moderna, like Pfizer, is considering recommending booster doses for older patients. They're thinking that it would be half the amount of vaccine That was given in the first two doses. Similar to Pfizer and the conversation we had in the last episode about their recommendation, the Moderna one is also based on seeing decreasing antibody levels in the blood and fails to include the many other ways our bodies protect us against viral infection. A second piece of good news is that over the past week the state's with the highest infection rates. States like Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Missouri are seeing a rapid rise in vaccination rates. As such, some of the vaccine hesitancy in the United States may be diminishing as the reality of the Delta variant becomes increasingly visible and harder to deny. Robbie, we continue to hear
0: from listeners that they enjoy our efforts to expand the material on this podcast beyond COVID-19 and the coronavirus. What's this episode's big healthcare story? Jeremy,
1: the biggest news is the data from the Independent Commonwealth Fund evaluating the healthcare outcomes in the 11 most industrialized nations in the world. Unfortunately, out of the five major categories of performance, the United States was last, number 11, and all but one. More specifically, our country was last in life expectancy, last in childhood mortality, and we had the highest death rate for women giving birth. The reasons for this poor performance are multifactorial. On one hand, many of the challenges are socioeconomic and reflect what is called social determinants of health. These are poor nutrition, smoking, lack of exercise, and difficulty accessing medical care, whether from lack of insurance or transportation difficulties. But the poor outcomes relative to other nations also reflect problems intrinsic in the American medical culture. Overall, doctors in the United States value intervention over prevention. They send patients to ERs at nights and weekends for problems that could be cared for in their offices, but their offices are closed. And they elevate the importance of specialists over primary care, despite data that shows that adding 10 primary care physicians to a community improves health and life expectancy two and a half times more than adding 10 specialists. To once again make American medicine the best in the world, we will need to transform both our current system of medicine and its culture. Jeremy, you live in Iowa, and Iowa is different than either coastal states or southern states. How has Delta impacted the community in which you live?
0: Robbie, life seems pretty normal here. Uh, it seems mostly the same as. Uh, It did since the CDC said once you were vaccinated, you could live life maskless. I will say, though, within the last week or two, I'm starting to see a few more masked people uh, at stores or in the public. Um, According to the New York Times, the county I live in has had only one death since late May. Uh, That same data, though, says that we are now averaging 16 cases a day and added 109 cases for the week ending in August 4th, a numbers we have not seen since February. What I'm hearing most from people I know is that they're sick and tired of the pandemic and the anxiety it's causing. People are concerned about their children returning to school. They're worried if their child will receive a quality education with all the distraction due to COVID. They're worried about another round of lockdowns destroying their already struggling business. They're worried about their job security, if they're vaccine hesitant. They're worried about if the vaccines they got actually work. They're worried about, you know, will life just continue to be like this going forward? Robbie, I think it is here like it is many places in the country. I think the coming of the Delta variant uh, has made everyone in the community just kind of tired, frustrated, and confused. Robbie, it seems like there are so many factors impacting our nation right now. How do you put all the pieces together?
1: I think, Jeremy, that's similar to what you just said. People's heads are spitting as the Delta variant brings back the fears from the past. Data from the Harris Poll show that unlike in March, April, and May of this year, when 70 to 80% of Americans were optimistic about the future specific to COVID-19, now only 46% believe the worst of the pandemic is over. Making matters worse in a Kaiser Family Foundation poll nearly one fourth of Americans reported that they thought that getting vaccinated was riskier than becoming infected. And among the unvaccinated, this number was over 50%, despite the abundance of data to the contrary. Three in four unvaccinated adults weren't worried about getting sick for the virus. Less than half of them were concerned about the Delta variant, and less than a quarter believe that vaccines are effective in preventing serious illness and death. Overall, it feels like our nation is trying to move forward but with heavy weights tied to our ankles. Vaccination is too slow. The CDC too timid. Most business and elected officials remain cautious. As you said, people are fatigued after nearly 18 months And despite lots lots of sacrifice, little seems to be better. There's one school of thought thinking that the worst is yet to come relative to COVID-19. And a second that thinks we'll see a spike and then relief, similar to what's happened in other countries as the mutant strain races through the unvaccinated part of the population and then seems to burn itself out. My view is between the extremes. At least until there's a new viral strain resistant to the current mRNA vaccines, those individuals who have been vaccinated and live in relatively well-vaccinated states, they'll do all right. Particularly as businesses, schools, and elected officials in those geographies impose mandatory vaccination. And then there'll be the places where vaccination rates are low and elected officials refuse to acknowledge what is happening and their ignorance will be bliss, but instead continued pain and suffering. I think it's going to be a while till all of the current challenges start to dissipate.
0: As a reminder to listeners, this episode is available on our website, fixinghealthcarepodcast.com and on all podcast platforms, including Apple podcasts and Spotify. If you like the show, Please rate it five stars and share it with your friends and family. To submit a question or comment to the host, please visit the contact page on our website or send us a message on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Thank you for listening to Coronavirus the Truth, and have a great day.